Didn't know you were going to get all this, did you? No, I didn't. I, I mean, that's what I was saying, too. Is the Yeah. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of This Is My Bourbon Podcast. I'm Perry. I'm your host. And I got to be honest with you, didn't think I was going to have a crowd this big today uh, when I woke up. But I am super excited to be at the Bottle and Bond Kitchen at the Bardstown Bourbon Company um, with a great table of guests on the show. First off, I want to say thank you all so much for being here. But I'm going to just kind of go clockwise around the table and let everybody introduce themselves. So... David, if you want to go first. David Mandel, uh, president and CEO and one of the founders of the Bardstown Bourbon Company. Yes. Jim Rutledge, uh, Four Roses Master Distiller, retired. Daniel Lind, one of the co-founders of Bardstown Bourbon Company. Steve Nally, Master Distiller, Bardstown Bourbon Company. And John Hargrove, Director of Operations here at Bardstown Bourbon Company. Well, guys, thank you all so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Uh, this is kind of a first for me, having this many guests on <laughs> all at one time. But I think we're going to have a great time. We're going to really enjoy um, this conversation. So first and foremost, I want to talk about where we are um, in this space. So David, talk a little bit about the Bottled and Bond Kitchen and its inception, because it's fairly new to this area and to the entire experience of the Bardstown Bourbon Company. Yes, and again, thank you very much for having us. Bottle yeah. and Bond is our newest expression here and experience at the Bardstown Bourbon Company. It is really the second phase of where we are headed. But Bottle and Bond is a place that brings together the community of whiskey lovers mm -hmm. and the community of Bardstown. So we are bringing together those that have been coming on the trail and those folks from this community that have helped, you know, so much in the development of bourbon over the years. Sure. And so we're really excited to have this full-scale restaurant, bar, and tremendous whiskey library. Right. And the fact that you're nestled right in the heart of bourbon country, too, I'm sure helps you out a little bit. <laughs> it is, and it's part of sort of the larger vision for the company, which is we've developed the Napa Valley-style destination experience, but we created our roots in our collaborative distilling program, which is our custom whiskey production program, which is run by Steve and John. So you know, we produce, produce custom whiskey for 22 different customers, and that is kind of the unique engine. It's where we've created our credibility. Now we're creating our credibility in experiencing it. And of course, it's all a platform for the brands that are gonna come from this wonderful place. Yeah, absolutely. So, Steve and John, talk a little bit, too, about um, some of the products that are coming out of here, uh, specifically your, your whiskey. Um, so, a lot of exciting products coming out. We have two out on the market right now. Um, 
They're an MGP style 21% rye uh, base bourbon. Had 10 years, uh, finished 18 months. One in a Muscat Mistel barrel and one in American Brandy barrel. And we did this collaboration uh, with Copper and Kings uh, out of Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, cool. So very excited about that. Very excited about some other finished products we have with them going on right now. And while we have those collaborations going on, we have new collaborations that you'll see coming out uh, with other customers here uh, in the near future, along with some of our own uh, internal brands that we're really excited to get out uh, on the blending side. So uh, we'll have something come out under our Fusion series here in the next year uh, where we'll have some internal product that was distilled here at Bardstown Bourbon Company and some blends with older stocks of whiskey um, that we have in inventory. So I'll let Steve talk a little bit more about the finishes that we have got going on, uh, but really excited about what's going to be coming down the pipeline here in the next couple years on the finished product side. Absolutely. And as you well know, the the sources have kind of dried up. We have been lucky to to find some good quality products you know, we're not just taking anything and putting it in a barrel and finish it. <laughs> we start out with a really good product. Like John says, 21% rise, what we're using right now. Mm -hmm. But we've acquired a few others from some other companies, too. And, you know, we, we've got some that's being finished in uh, wine barrels, some that's being finished in American brandy barrels, and several other finishes that are coming about. And, and we're going in. Some of them are kind of... Uh, pioneering that we really don't know what they're going to do, <laughs> but we're going in and checking and, and making sure that they're coming along all right sure. and, and selecting the time frame as far as the first uh, collaboration came out was 18 months old. Uh, the next one might be six months or it might be a year, it might be two years, but we're trying and, and tell it when it gets right, then we release them. But you, so you guys just put in this beautiful big column still too. Um, so that means that you guys are going to be distilling your own product, right? We are distilling our own product. We've been distilling some since the day we started uh, with the pro collaboration program or the uh, customers that we've taken on that's given us the ability to grow this big this fast. Mm -hmm. You know, we started out with the idea of making one and a half million proof gallons and we kept getting customers come on that, that we had to expand to, to accommodate them. And right now we're saving about 10% of what we produce is, is ours. So we will be coming out, as John said, some of our infusion brands that come out with will be the first that we've come out that we're using some of our products. And then as it becomes older and, and becomes mature, then we'll release our, our uh, kind of our flagship brand sure. that we come out yeah. with that'll be ours. And, and what's the timeline like on that? Um, how far out are you from actually putting out your own distillate? Uh, we have a two-year-old product in the warehouse right now. Uh, we anticipate another three to four years, you know, to get a five, six-year-old mm -hmm. product that that will be a good product that we can fly solo with. Great. So on the back of what Steve said, uh, that two-year old brand that we'll be pulling out, we'll actually be blending that with that Maturit product he okay. was talking about. Yeah. Um, so we think for our 100% internal products, so we're 100% um, um, mashed here, fermented here, distilled here, uh, we'll wait till start start seriously looking at the four-year mark, five-year, six-year, yeah. and so on to come out with a brand under the Bardstown Bourbon label with 100% product uh, from that, that was produced from this facility. Yeah, absolutely. I think what's one of the things that's really interesting about Perry is what you see here is the core values that you know we stand for, obviously collaboration, transparency, you know, working together. 
But what you see when you look across the brand spectrum is we have a collaborative series that we have developed. Now that's what this, this brand collaboration launched. So we're doing this with a series of other, they tell the story of two great artists or two great companies making something that's really neat together. Then we have a series coming called Fusion where it really represents our blending capabilities where we're taking some of our you know, our age product and blending with some other fabulous product that wasn't made by us. And then we evolve into our core products and they all live together. And that's really kind of the beauty. You get to see the full spectrum of everything that we're doing. So let's step back just a little bit too and talk about the fact that what you guys have associated with your brand right now is source products. There are a lot of people who will look at a company who sources whiskey and kind of turn their nose up a little bit at them. Did you ever kind of face that, or did you ever care whether or not people <laughs> No, and <laughs> I'll tell that you, way? here's why. Because the company is about, it's, we are a celebration of the craft of making whiskey. So what we do is we really embrace all the aspects of it. And as long as you are transparent about where that product came from, it's like, do you always expect the chef to grow their own vegetables? And the answer is, of course not. You source some wonderful product, but it's about what you ultimately make. And you see that creativity through our collaborative series. Through our fusion series, you see the blending, which is something, and I think, that's coming now. And Jim, I would actually be interested in your perspective, too. You know, the art of blending is something that is really important. Well, uh, you're absolutely right. Blending is an art, just like uh, the art of distillation relative to yeast, fermentation, mashing. Uh, but that is an art because you can take, uh, uh, example, two really, really good barrels, put them together, and it ends up not so good. But you can take <laughs> this barrel that's, this is okay, this is okay, put them together, you might have something outstanding. So it, it takes time. It's something that you just can't select uh, barrels and based on their individual characters and say, boy, this is going to be really good. You've got to experiment and try and uh, uh, evaluate what you have, and it is an art. So with that, in the spirit of collaboration, I already got my mind running. We have Jim here, first time he's been on site. We have Steve here, so maybe we get together after this podcast, and maybe we start to develop a product uh, with those two minds, uh, with the innovation behind that product between these two guys right here at the table. Please. <laughs> Please, and let me know when that becomes a thing, because I will be all in on it. one sense, we're kind of not sourcing product to our customers we are custom producing them for them. I mean, they, they come to us and we sit down and go through every aspect of the production uh, from the grain selection to the yeast to the cook temperatures, all parts of it. So we're actually custom producing product for them. We're not just making a product and selling it to them. Right. That's incredible, too. I, I like that because you don't see a whole lot of companies that are doing something that specific. Um, for their for their clients exactly yeah. and you know we we have 22 customers at the present we're doing a total of 27 different mash bills so to do that back and forth and to satisfy every customer is quite a quite an ordeal so and a lot goes into that customization um, and with that customization uh, comes transparency of our production also so if you're a cu customer in our Bardstown bourbon collaboration program you can come on site for your production we do pre-production meetings to nail down all the specifics of the production grain procurement barrel procurement yeast strands yeast procurement um, like like Steve said how we cook up the mash uh, how we ferment uh, as far as uh, set temperatures control temperatures and then uh, Jim Henry 
dependent on the art of distillation. There's a lot of metrics that can be changed uh, on your distillation column, on your doubler, um, that can produce a very different product. Um, and with that, we really sit down with our customers and develop all that before production, and they're allowed to come on site. And then we also package up all those key metrics I just went over. So they can, they can really come in and look at the header pressures on our steam lines. They can come in and look at the cycle times on our cooks, um, the temperature, um, uh, the deltas and the temperatures on our cooks, our fermentations, and then on the distillation, our beer feed, what we're running our low wines at, our high wines, our low wine condensers, how we control our low wine condensers. So any part of the process, uh, they will have transparency, and we package that up and provide that to them uh, at the conclusion of their production run. So, so collaboration is not just a brand name. It is kind of a mantra for the Barstown Bourbon Company. It is in the true then. sense, yeah. and that's just on the production side. One one side we haven't uh, touched on yet is the organoleptic, the sensory side of it. Um, so we have an organoleptic team here on site, uh, which does all the sensory for all the distillate that we make, the maturate that we take out of the warehouses. But we have to get our team aligned with other technical teams through their organoleptic and sensory programs also. So we're on the same page when we're judging their distillates that we're producing. And, and I think, too, that's incredible, too, is that you are so transparent in the way that you produce your whiskey. And, right. And, and the, the way that you communicate, too. Um, right, and that transparency. So we have 22 customers in our program. Um, I deal with 14, 15 different technical teams out of those 22 different customers. So with that comes um, a transfer of knowledge between our teams and their teams. So we where most new startups have a, a bit of a learning curve uh, with the talent pool that we have been able to pull from here in Bardstown, Kentucky, and um, that business model aspect of working with different technical teams with different companies, we have really uh, absolved that learning curve uh, in a matter of less than a year. Uh, so out on the production floor, our operators have an average experience of 15 years uh, of, of distillery experience across the board on our operations. If you go out there, you won't see one person that did not come from a distillery. Um, out on our production floor. So I want to I want to take a step back just a second because I have a whole lot of stuff on the table in front of me that I, I feel needs to be discussed. Um, first and foremost, let's talk about the cocktails that I have uh, before me. Um, talk about what they are and what has gone into them and the um, the creation behind them because I. I First off, they're really good. <laughs> well, it's one of the most important things, obviously, for us in, in creating Bottle and Bomb was to have a fabulous culinary team and a great beverage team. And our beverage team, Dan Calloway, is the GM of DECA in Louisville. Um, he joined us, built you know our beverage and our, our beverage ambassadors. Our culinary team is run by Chef Felix Mazzo from the Greenbrier, West Virginia. Great. We have 20 culinary students that come from South Africa, the Philippines, and India. State Department program that we house them. We provide an educational uh, component to it and transportation. And John Donnelly, JD John Donnelly, is our executive director of food and beverage. Came from Matchbox, came from <laughs> Buford Inn. I mean, amazing team, and everybody's moved here to Bardstown. But in front of you, you have our signature Manhattan that's made with an eight-year-old Hirsch bourbon. Hirsch is a product is a company that's part of our collaborative distilling program. We produce that product going forward. Um, it's got a two, uh, two different blends, of, a blend of two different vermouths, a Sinar and an Antica formula, and uh, our, own, uh, our own blend of bitters. And then, of course, this is called Smokey and the Bandit, which is Bellmead <laughs> bourbon, which we also produce here. It's a collaborative partner uh, with a great mezcal, fresh vanilla bean, and black pepper. Uh, two 
new additions to the menu, but we have really creative team. Also, um, we're passing around dishes uh, yeah. so, <laughs> as we yeah. converse. Gnocchi. Too. This is a fresh potato gnocchi, oh, gnocchi with mushroom sauce, Brussels sprouts with thick-cut bacon and bourbon glaze, chicken fried oysters. What Everything we do here is made scratch every day um, by the team. We fly in the seafood. If we can get the ingredients locally, we get them. But the whole concept behind Bottle & Bond is refined simplicity. Simple dishes made extremely well with the best ingredients in an environment that is not pretentious. It's designed to bring people together, have fun, and just have a, you know, an enjoy conversation. And if you're not having fun, what are you doing? Oh, yeah, you that's know. exactly <laughs> the point, isn't it? So I, I, I want to touch on, too, because, Jim, I'm happy that you're sitting down with us, and it was just kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing that you were here, and we were like, oh, well, can we get Jim Rutledge to sit down with us as well? <laughs> so what is your relationship like with these guys? How did you kind of uh, get to know them and, um, you know, work with them? <laughs> But, you know, I've uh, met several people I, I didn't know uh, prior to coming here, but Steve and I go back, what, close to 25 years, I guess, and uh, Maker's Mark and myself at Four Roses. And, uh, you know, I've just toured part of the distillery. It's absolutely beautiful. I, I was telling them, walking through it up there, I, I love to see a new distillery. It's so much <laughs> easier to, to start like they did here from scratch, build everything new uh, rather than try to retrofit and uh, some of the old equipment at some of the older distilleries. Sure. Uh, we have eight major distilleries in Kentucky that still produce about 95% or more of the uh, bourbon produced and sold in the U.S. But uh, the upcoming distilleries like Bartstown Bourbon Company here and, uh, and some of the others, uh, it's amazing to me. Uh, I'm doing some consulting work at one of the relatively uh, new distilleries, and everywhere I go, they say, you know, we sold out of capacity. We're out of capacity, by the t practically by the time we start up. Uh, I know Steve told me a few years ago uh, when you were starting up that uh, they're out of capacity before we ever distilled the first drop, <laughs> and it's amazing just the bourbon industry. Uh, it's absolutely on fire. Everybody's heard that by now. But uh, the amazing part to me is when you go back to about 1968, we had about close to 8.9 million barrels in inventory, which is just one measure of the growth of the industry. And just a few weeks ago, it was announced that you know we're over 7.5 million right. barrels right. Uh, in Kentucky. But back then, about 10% of those barrels were designated for international markets where today it's about 40 percent so we've got a long way to go just to catch up to back then sure. and uh, the international markets of China ever really uh, opens up uh, we don't have enough capacity just to fill China India's uh, uh, a new market uh, Japan's been a very healthy market for many years so there's I don't think you can really anticipate much growth there Australia's a great market yeah but outside the US uh, and what's, to me, I can, I can go back to meetings in the early 80s when uh, I was, at that time I was working in New York, uh, Seagram's uh, corporate headquarters, who owned Four Roses, and trying to get uh, bourbon back in, uh, Four Roses bourbon back in the U.S. And, right. And uh, I can remember seeing a pie chart on a 
uh, PowerPoint presentation that I can't rem I may be off a little bit, but not much. I think uh, of the whiskeys of the world, uh, Scotch was about 37.3 or 4. Bourbon was only about 6.7. And so, you know, and people's attitude was, you know, we don't stand a chance. Look at the Scotch market. Right. And I said, look at the opportunity to grow. And that's what's happening. We go around the world now, people are finally beginning to realize, hey, there's another whiskey in this world besides Scotch, and it's bourbon, and especially Kentucky bourbon. Do you, do you feel like, because this, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently. It seemed like to me that in that period in the 80s, the, the dark period, you know, when bourbon still was not as popular as it is now, it seemed like all of the master distillers at that time independently said, we are going to remarket this product and we're going to make it big again. And it seemed to kind of work in a way that produced something that people wanted to be a part of. Do you feel that that was kind of that, you know, that energy at the time? Or, you know, were you just trying to do business? Well, I think if <laughs> at any time in history, if you talk to a master distiller, hey, we make the greatest, greatest bourbon or whiskey <laughs> or rye uh, there is, and people have got to like it. We know what we can put it, we're putting in a barrel and what can be put in a bottle. So I'm not sure that's, uh, uh, I, I, I don't know what to say about that <laughs> other than we've always felt that way. Uh, sure. Now, you know, in uh, long-range planning, uh, you know, we're planning, if it's a six-year-old bourbon, of course, you've got to uh, look at the forecast, uh, and it's not, uh, it's stretching the imagination to say it's an educated guess. It's a guess down the road where you're going to be in six, seven, eight years, depending on the age of product, weighing that against your current barrel inventories, and then uh, the difference is what we need to produce right now. And, uh, of course, our industry had been sliding since the late 60s sure. every year, so we were projecting for this slide. And I can remember uh, at that time, Four Roses uh, in Japan, the top two bourbons in Japan were Four Roses or I.W. Harper. And it was back and forth. Every other year, it seems like uh, one was a top-selling brand. But in 88, uh, the Japanese market didn't show some signs of growth. It shot through the roof. Right. But our industry, especially those two uh, brands, distilleries, with our pants down. And uh, <laughs> I was up in New York doing their long-range planning, distillery planning for all uh, Seagram distilleries in, in the U.S. at the time. And I ended up selling uh, Seagram had in addition to Four Roses, which was only an international brand, uh, we had brands like Eagle Rare, Antique, Benchmark, uh, Henry McKenna, and another brand I, I can't recall right now. I was the one who approached uh, Seagram Marketing and sales executives, and uh, we need to sell these brands. We're not doing well. We're not promoting them. We're not standing behind them, because Seagram was not a bourbon company. It was a primarily a blend of whiskey company. Right. So we sold those barrels to devote, uh, and some barrel inventory went with them, of course, but what was left we could devote to the one global growth market back then. And uh, that was Japan, uh, that was the first sign of growth, and then the early 90s, that decline that we'd seen uh, over 20, 25 years uh, started to slow down, and you know, we were excited. Uh, I was uh, on the board of the Kentucky Distillers Association back then, we were excited just to see 
the business level out. You know, we're not declining, sure. we're leveling out. And then by the mid-90s, there were some trickles of growth. It was signs of growth. It was growing a little bit. Uh, and, you know, it was, we were all very optimistic. And we all know what's happened recently. <laughs> and people say, well, when's, you know, and all through those years, and, uh, and I can attest to it, you know, that uh, when you do long-range planning, you know, the industry's always up or down. It's like a roller coaster ride. And the only time the barrel inventories are ever in alignment is when on the way up or on the way down. <laughs> and uh, so, but since that time, since in this century, the growth is absolutely amazing. And like I, I previously mentioned, we're not up to where we were in barrel inventories back in the late 60s. And the potential for growth just domestically, and then when you look at it, the uh, uh, the new markets globally, uh, you know, whether it be established markets, UK, they're growing, France is growing, Spain's sure. growing, but the new markets uh, in India, China, and other countries around the world, bourbon is on fire, and you know it's going to be here. It's it's not here and gone like it used to be. Sure, it's here to stay for many many years to come. And and that gives me hope for, you know, because I I every now and then take a step back and I look at the projection of the bourbon boom, and I go, you know, it's got it's the end has got to be around the corner. But I hear conversations like this. I hear people who are that passionate about it. I go, I'm fine. Same thing with Fred Minnick. I sit down with Fred Minnick, and he talks, you know, so highly and encouraging about the bourbon industry and the bourbon market. And I'm just, I'm just like, I'm not worried anymore, you know. And if you look at what, you know, the expansion that is taking place, if you look at the expansion that's taking place with all of the legacy distilleries, the amount of capital they're putting in and expanding them, you look at the success of our collaborative distilling program and, the fact that, you know, we're producing four brands. These are brands that didn't have distilleries behind them. We also produce for several of the, you know, the larger companies, you know, across the globe as well. Again, tied to great brands. But that growth is there. Yeah. And we'd, everyone would have to be wrong in order for there to be a very <laughs> significant change. You'd also, when you look at the trends, the growth of cocktails, the growth of, you know, premiumization, it's going across the globe. And some of that international growth hasn't even hit yet. But but internationally, I mean, that sounds like it's a market that at this point is kind of untapped. You know, I mean, there may be interest, but I mean, it, it seems like we're still kind of working to, you know, find where people really enjoy what Kentucky is doing with bourbon, or just the United States is doing with bourbon. So it, it is that expansion going to be a key factor in keeping the bourbon boom alive? Well, I don't know if it's about keeping it alive. The question is going to be how much more does it grow and how much do we have? And I think, you know, again, it's when you look at what uh, some of the larger companies are preparing for, they have not even made inroads into, you know, countries like China and into India. Sure. One, because they don't have enough product to do it. Um, and, you know, they just have not gone there yet, just a little bit. And so if those markets get a taste for bourbon, if it begins to move, you know, a couple points away right. from scotch to bourbon, I think from the studies that we've seen, there's not even enough resting right now in Kentucky to handle it. <laughs> so it just depends on the perspective. Sure, sure. Let, let's talk to you a little bit more about the, the product that's coming out of Bardstown Bourbon Company. 
One of the things that I always am enticed by with bourbon is the past and how the past seems to be shaping the future. So what is it about the past that you have found is inspiring you moving forward with the products that are coming out of the Bardstown Bourbon Company? So I think that's a twofold question. I think what we have special here is uh, Steve Nally's experience. He's been in the industry 46 years, and me, a relative newcomer to the business, um, more of the science background where Steve has worked every position in the distillery, um, true and tried master distiller that knows every part of the process. And then uh, I come from the manufacturing business where I have a technical background. So you kind of have an art meat science here at this facility. And you need both to thrive and make a, a quality product. Uh, so the art of it is, Steve, testing the mattress, blending, uh, like Jim hinted on earlier. You can have two medium uh, quality barrels, put them together. Have a, have a great blend. You can have two great barrels, put them together, and you have a, a terrible blend, <laughs> um, um, uh, to say the least. Um, that's the art of it, the arts of it, knowing uh, he'll test the grain, do sensory on the grain coming in, and then the science aspect of it, the GC analysis of it, uh, the supporting instrumentation equipment that you would see in our process, um, that transparency I was talking about into the process. We have done a significant capital investment on a lot of that automation uh, and still respecting the art uh, of the whiskey and bourbon making process. So I think what we have very special here is the technical aspect of it and then respecting the traditional uh, aspect of it. And we don't want to take anything away from the traditional. We just want to push the envelope on the technical aspect of it uh, for quality reasons and for efficiency reasons. Uh, So I think it's a great balance with what we have going on here. And I think that's going to be reflected in our products that come out in the future. And I think another thing that's really changed drastically for us as producers has been the consumer's demand. You know, it went from years ago, uh, the cheaper products that people just bought really didn't appreciate the flavor or the taste of it. Then it got into uh, people enjoyed the product as a sipping product. They'd take it neat over ice. And now it's starting to swing into cocktails and that demand creates a lot of new products. You know, you want products that will carry into that cocktail and, and make it really nice. And, you know, a, a Maker's Mark or a, a high-end Heaven Hill or something might not work well in that cocktail where a 95 rye or some other product will. So that's another demand that's, that's being imposed on us as producers that the consumer has has brought forth and demanded. So it sounds like you have a very specific idea or or mission for your whiskeys that you're going to be producing. Try to put that into words if you if you can. What is your goal with everything that you are producing? Well, at the we're Bartstown we're producing products that one will be a good sipping product and also some of the products that we have out will be good to mix into cocktails. So we we have more than just one product coming out that can be used for different different, uh, cocktails or different reasons. 
Yeah, and I think our brands are kind of representative of the specifics that we're coming out with. We're going to have a collaborative series brands. You already see two finished products out on the market with it. So it's really a story of um, um, a true master of the craft working with another master of that craft, whether it be an Armagnac house, a Cognac house, a winery, or another distillery. Then we have our fusion series where we um, will take pride in the blending. That's where that art comes in. And then we'll have our uh, Bardstown bourbon flagship label where we'll have the sipping whiskey that he's talking about. We're at 100% uh, produced uh, whiskey here at this facility. So we are specific, but we are covering uh, multiple brands with that uh, specificity there. So, and I think I, the thing I just topped that all off with, what makes us different from everybody else is what you have is the experience, what we have learned, the knowledge sharing that's taking place in that collaborative distilling program is what is ending up in the bottle when we're making our own products. And that is what is so exciting. Never before have you had the number of companies 22 different customers with their teams working with us, the type of knowledge sharing that's taking place in that distillery, and it is tremendous, um, where we are all learning from each other. That whole community is working together in one way or another in that program, and that is resulting in not only great products for them, but it's also resulting in phenomenal products for us. Right, and, and that kind of goes back to this idea of collaboration. So... Was collaboration something that was, you know, crucial to your mindset when you were developing the Bardstown Bourbon Company? Or was that just kind of something that happened along the way? You know, it's probably a little bit of both, but, you know, it's a it's an evolutionary story. And, you know, and Dan, who I'll just turn over to here for a second, too, who is uh, my partner in this, was here from the beginning as this project developed as we evolved, we saw, you know, we saw this desire and need for not only the program, but we actually saw this larger vision for what, let's bring this, let's bring this whole community together, and that's what we're going to be all about. Um, I mean, there's not much to, to add to that. I guess I would just say that, um, you know, we didn't want to just come in and copy what had been done before, and uh, so as we were learning from people about how you could put together a business, how you could get into this business, um, this started to develop. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, and we, we like to say, you know, no made-up stories, no hidden legends. We were faced when we started with the concept of do we buy an old distillery and try to refurbish it? Right. Do we um, try to bring back a legacy brand? You know, do we try to create something based on history? Well, and Dan and myself and a couple of us, we don't have any grandparents in the distilling industry. <laughs> um, you know, there wasn't, a, there wasn't any legacy there. And so as we kind of began to think about it, it was sort of, now let's go the complete opposite direction. Let's make this a place that is about the craft of making whiskey, transparent, open, and then let's celebrate the community. And so you see that openness, you see that transparency in the design. It flows through every aspect of what we're doing. And we truly believe that we're stronger, we are better as we bring people together. And look at this, we're sitting in this restaurant. It's completely packed. packed. Yeah. And what, what are the people getting here? They can drink anything. We've got a great wine program. We have 400 different vintage bourbons. We have over 400 bourbons and whiskeys from around the world. You can have great cocktails. And so it's really about experiencing. And part of that experience is enjoying what you want when you want it. And guess what? It might not always be bourbon. 
on, on that note of cultivating that experience, Fred Minnick was a big part in, huge, you huge know, a, a huge part, yeah, in establishing your vintage whiskey collection Correct. here. How did Fred get involved in, in this process then? Well, we had a great relationship with Fred going back a long time when we got in this. And, as, you know, we, when the Kentucky legislature gave us the flexibility to buy vintage spirits, spirits that are out of circulation from the private collector, you know, we, they, we knew exactly who we were going to. And we sat down with Fred and we said, you know what, let's curate a collection together then let's bring it in here and let's offer it to the public. And let's use that, going back to John and Steve's point, let's another manifestation of respecting art and science. It's about, you know, that vintage collection in here brings us to the past. And we look at it and we try it. And we're trying that with the consumer against new things. And it starts discussions. And it starts discussions about, well, how did, how did they make this product so great at this point or right. why is this one so bad you know from you know this period of time and so you have these conversations about just because it's old doesn't mean it's great you know just because it's new doesn't mean it's good so it it's all about kind of the bringing those two together and fred was instrumental in it he's curated the collection sure and and none of those bad whiskeys came from four roses right not that we have ever found <laughs> Not for I, a long time, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think what's really cool, too, is that we have at the table right now two people who are so steeped in, and I am looking right at you when I'm talking about this, Steve. <laughs> steeped in the history of bourbon, and we're so ingrained in making it what it is today. So, Steve, I have to ask you, what was the experience at Maker's Mark that most shaped you into the master distiller that you are today? I think going back to then, it was everything that was done was done for a reason. You know, when I first started, I questioned a lot of it. And, you know, it, it was a reason behind it. And the reason was to, to add exactly the same amount of grain, to cook to exactly the same temperatures. It was all done to produce exactly the same product in the end. Right. And, you know, if you vary any one of those, it can totally change the product. And I think, you know, I had the privilege of, of working with and under some of the pioneers, some of the legends of, of the industry, and learning from them why this is done, why it's cooked this way, why it's processed this way, why it's aged this way. You know, everything about it is done for a reason. It's not just thrown together and fermented and distilled and put in a barrel it's precisely done so do from that do you look at the current state of the bourbon industry and see that same energy that same passion that was kind of instilled in you through asking those questions and wanting to learn more about bourbon i think it's yes and no i think you can <laughs> you can go to the to the market and purchase products and you can open them and taste them and you can pretty well tell whether they've been done the right way or whether they've been done the wrong way. So, you know, if you go and try it, it doesn't take long to figure out who, who knows what they're doing, who does not know. So what encourages you to continue working in this industry then? Is it the fact that you feel like you can make another mark? On an unintentional pun there with Maker's Mark, but <laughs> <laughs> the reason I continue to do it is I love it. 
you know, it, it's been it's been something that from day one I've always enjoyed going to work. You know, I, I enjoy talking about it. So I just love the industry. I love the people in the industry. You know, the you know, just like Jim said earlier, we've known each other for 35 years or so. Sure. And we we are friends. And, you know, there's a lot of distillers, a lot of people in the industry that I can really call a friend. And to me, there's not many industries in the world that have this same relationship intercompany. So that's, that's one thing that's held me to it. And is, is that kind of what brought you here, too, was just your love for bourbon, and specifically to the Bardstown Bourbon Company? That and, and you know, the vision that was presented in the, in the get-go, in the initial part of it was to develop a new company and develop, you know, part of the process that we're doing now was developed on the fly. You know, we, <laughs> we started out uh, wanting to make a product, supplementing it with some uh, collaboration with other other people, and that part of it has grown to, to cause us to expand to quadruple in, in less than two years. So that part of it is just the demand that's out in the company. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to hold back enough for yourself. <laughs> but, you know, we are. Let me brag about Steve just for a second, if Please. you don't mind, because I'll tell you, there are, there are very few master distillers, obviously, left. And there are very few master distillers that at their stage of the game, when Steve came in, he had been there, he had done it, he had built Wyoming whiskey, they would come in and say, you know what, we're going to make... 27 different mash bills in one facility and so that's not necessarily what you see in many people of you know steve's background and it's a real credit and a testament to steve and john working together because we brought a level of customer service and attention to the art of weight making whiskey for others and working with us that has never existed before in the industry people say is a contract production no it's not contract production. It's collaborative because they work with us and then see this facility, this becomes their home. So when you look in retail there, all those brands, we make those going forward. Yeah. They, it's incorporated. Then they can come here. They can tell their story. They can use the facility to entertain. And so it's a way and it's a new, it's a really a new model in the market to allow you know great brands that have developed over time that didn't have distilleries behind them also allow other companies to do really innovative things. Uh, and we do a lot of innovation as well. Sorry, she just walked away with a Heaven Hill decanter from what I'm assuming is the 60s or 70s, and it just caught my eye. <laughs> That's just called lunch. That's just how it goes. It's just called lunch. <laughs> so, so what is the interplay between you and, you and Steve, John, or you and John, Steve? You know, what is... The, you know, how do you communicate in terms of what you want going forward as master distillers here? Well, I think it's uh, truly uh, in the spirit of collaboration. It's a collaboration between us. I mean, we drive each other um, uh, to improve the process and to improve the quality. Obviously, Steve is a wealth of knowledge for me to lean on, for our whole team to lean on uh, in general. Um, so he'll check me a lot of the times when I get some of my wild ideas 
uh, to try it out. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I always look for him. I look for his advice, and I continue to learn from him. Uh, my office is two feet away from him on a daily basis, so I'm really fortunate to be in this company, in this industry, learning from somebody uh, uh, as esteemed as Steve, and also um, being involved with other distillers, uh, other consultants in the business at this level of the game right now. Uh, so the, the knowledge being transferred here is bar none. You will not get it anywhere else. Does John talk you up that much in person? Like on a day-to-day -day basis, or yeah, is this just for to. I won't let him have his office till he does. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what he said is true, and we we go over constantly uh, processes, and if there's a, a flavor or, or something that's in the product, we'll sit down and talk about it and see how we can adjust something to make it better, something to adjust it to to make it taste like we want it, want it to taste. Because uh, with all the electronics and and the automation that John, you know, knows about, which I don't. You know, I, I came from a background <laughs> of manual everything, and uh, you know, to incorporate that in together to make it work, and a lot of that feeds the information that's fed to the customer. You know, if they demand sure. some of this, and and he's able to produce it for it would take me a month to sit down and produce what what they ask for. So you know, it's it's the ability to to put both of those together. Uh, to make the product that we're doing. And when we change recipes three or four times a week, you have to have <laughs> that speed and that knowledge and the electronics to do that. And, and I want to go back a little bit to, to you just made a comment about, you know, the communication that goes on between you and your, your clients, you know. And, and I think that, again, that transparency is so crucial to encouraging you to produce really high quality products and I think that's what's most exciting too about moving forward with you all and and seeing what's going to be coming out of the Bardstown right company. and uh, our customers frankly uh, they demand it and uh, we're delivering it on it uh, so we make for some of the largest craft, craft distillers in the world up to the largest uh, in the top five uh, spirits producers in the world right now so they've already have products out in the market that are tried and true uh, so to start distilling in 2016, come to our business and work with us, uh, they want some assurances, obviously. And obviously, we can provide that in the production process, uh, the organoleptic uh, evaluations that we do our distillates, and the overall interaction we have with their technical teams. So that's what drives a lot of the true transparency, because we want our customers to make this their home. Uh, we want them to be able to talk about it. We want their sales team to be able to come talk about it when they go out to all uh, different states and talk about their products. Uh, so you can have sales teams meetings here if you're one of our customers. Uh, you can really bring in and teach your whole team about how your product is produced at Bardstown Bourbon Company. And we don't want any hidden legends like David said. We want facts and we want transparency. And that drives uh, the confidence of our customers to produce here with us. Absolutely, too. And that's one thing that, you know, we had to realize early on was that we were producing a product for our customers. It's not necessarily something sure. that we would produce for ourselves, and it's all about the flavor profile. They already have a product on the market. We're trying to duplicate that product. And, you know, whether it's a, a condenser temperature or any minor thing that you might think might be very important to developing that flavor. So let's talk to a, a more about not just collaboration with whiskey, but collaboration inside the Bardstown Bourbon Company. And, and I specifically want to touch on, too, the Bottle and Bond Kitchen and the food that's coming out of you, too. 
So moving forward with some of the products that are going to be your own distillate out of this company, you know, do, do you see more food pairing with, with the whiskey that's going to be produced here or the products that are going to be produced here? You know, what, what do you see moving forward? I think you see, you know, a huge spectrum of what is possible. And so, of course, yes, I mean, we're looking at pairings and dinners, and, but it goes really beyond that. It starts with the culinary team working with the beverage team, working with the distilling team. And for the first time, you, in a, in a spirits company, you have in-house these three teams that are experts in each one of their areas, and each one of these areas plays such an important role in our overall enjoyment of life, everyday life. Why are we doing this? When are we drinking? We're usually eating, enjoying <laughs> a great meal. We're either having a cocktail, we're drinking it straight. All these things are so important. That's why we eat and drink at dinner or at lunch. And so... <laughs> Now you got to take these things together and for the company. So when we're doing this and John and Steve have been leading it, they're working with our beverage team. They have a different, you know, excellent mixologist, incredible team. Some of the obvious stuff you're making here, they have different flavor profiles. They're trying things. They're helping the team blend. You know, they go back and forth. They do blind tastings. They test each other. You know, they're trying, they're experimenting. Same thing with the culinary team. So with this platform, we are, we are harnessing all of this creativity. And so can I tell you exactly how it's going to turn out? No. But I can tell you we're getting everybody involved, and it's going to result in some remarkable things that are going to make us different from everybody else. Is this your canvas? It, 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 do you consider yourself as an, you know, and I am kind of putting this title on you, as an artist in this medium, is this your canvas? No, I mean, uh, what I would say is this is a platform. And so the platform we have built, the team, and the team in this company is a story about the people that have come from all over the place to come here and join us to help make this the launching pad. And that's what it is. It's the launching pad for all the things that are going to come. And so we're really excited about it. So it, it, it's, in, in some sense, a stepping stone. It's exactly, well, that's yeah. right. It's foundational. Yeah. So in order to, you know, have, you know, the brands that are going to come from us and to bring people here and to kind of take this to the world, you've got to start by creating your credibility, which we did in, this, in building this incredible distilling team. We had to create our experiential credibility by building a culinary team and a beverage team. And now they're all working together to not only make the brands for our customers, but for ourselves. Sure. And so that's where we're headed. And I'm, I'm going to kind of extend this question then to John and, and Steve and Jim. Do you consider yourselves artists in the world of bourbon? Because I, I think that there is so much room for creativity, you know, in, in producing something that people can consume in... A, a reasonable manner to where they can enjoy it. But but do you consider yourselves artists? <laughs> Everybody's silent. I'm looking at Jim and Steve to answer this one. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, you know, Steve touched on it uh, early. He's uh, He goes back to the time when everything was done manually. Yeah. Uh, I started uh, in the business in 1966, and I think my first 
stint as a shift supervisor in the distilleries probably 1969, I think. And I can remember if we wanted to change the beer flow uh, for one reason or another, say from uh, 3,800 gallons an hour to 4,000 gallons an hour. So we go up, manually turn the valves. We have pencil marks all over the place and with numbers on it. And then uh, we had charts on the wall uh, that would uh, every for a 24-hour period. So it might take uh, an hour or two to get everything in balance. Today we walk in and we want to go from 3,800 gallons an hour to 4,000. We punch it in and boom, it's there. So. Uh, you know, and you can say it about the whole process. And so I've always said, you know, we've come light years since uh, just in such a short time since I've started. Now, looking around the table, only Steve think that's not a short time. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, we've come a long, long way, but the art will always be there. That's the part I love. Uh, technology helps us be more consistent day in, day out. And... Uh, but being able to walk up to a fermenter, and I've always said I used all five senses. You know, I look at the top of the fermenter, uh, you know, I know whether it looks right or wrong. Uh, I smell it, stick my finger in it, and I taste it. I feel about what the temperature is. So I've used four senses there. And then the fifth sense of hearing, got to listen to what those other four senses have told me. And uh, I probably couldn't do it right now, but... Uh, back at uh, Four Roses when I was doing it uh, on a regular basis, I could usually tell in roughly an 80-hour fermentation period uh, within a couple of hours about how old that fermenter was. And if that wasn't right, I knew something was wrong. If I looked at the top of it and uh, uh, didn't just see uh, a, a fine head of foam on top of it, if I saw you know, a foot of foam or uh, four inches of crust, I knew the bacteria was running rapid in some way, and we had to correct it. But, uh, and that's part of the art of, uh, of the business. And sure. uh, even from the beginning, you know, people think, well, corn's corn, you know, just get any corn in. But uh, th that's the furthest thing from the truth. You can have corn come in with just uh, the slightest hint, of, for example, must sure. uh, or mold. And uh, that could destroy the whole process. But you have to, and that's, I guess it's an art, being able to smell that uh, and way, way, way back in the distance. You say, boy, I think there's a hint of must here, and we're going to reject this load. But everything from the beginning of the process, from the selection, the approval of the grains, milling, mashing, fermentation, and distillation, you know, it's, uh, like I said, technologies have come light years, but it's the art that makes, uh, to me, you know whether it's good or bad before it ever gets through the still. I was just going to say, I know that you extended this question to everybody. It's probably a it problem yeah. if your finance guy thinks of himself as an artist. So, no, I'm not an artist. I want to touch a little bit on what Jim said. You know, when I was coming up, uh, I actually worked every job there was at Maker's Mark. So, you know, I kind of learned the system from the inside out. And like he said, you could tell, you know, from the minute that the grain samples came into the lab, you know, to whether the grain was, was acceptable or not. Uh, you know, it, 
And I remember one time when a load came in and it had a fuel smell to it. Well, we got to checking back, and it was as simple as when they were loading the truck, the exhaust of the tractor was blowing into it, so that smell came all the way to the distillery in that load of grain. Of course, it was rejected, but it's saying things that are so simple that can happen. And I kind of think that by having to do it manual for so many years that you really know what was happening. When I tweaked that valve just a, a sixteenth of a turn, that accounted for so many degrees in temperature or a certain speed of the flow. So now when you punch it in a button, do the people that's doing that really know what they're doing? Do they, are they, I'm just typing in a number. I don't know what it's doing downstream from it. So to some extent, the manual is a little bit better as far as people remembering or knowing exactly what they were doing. Right. And, and to kind of piggyback off of that, too, I am by trade a graphic designer but you know graphic design today is all computer based but you know up until 20 years ago it was all manual and so you know if you had type that needed to be set out you know you had to do it all by hand and then you know you had to layer different sheets of of film so that you could get the right color for it for it and you know it just seems I, I, I get what you're saying in terms of like what the advancements have done for efficiency, but not necessarily for the artistry of the, this industry. So, yeah, I see what you mean. I agree with you. Know that's that's uh, kind of goes back to the fact that you appreciate what went into that that graphics. For if you just punch it in a computer, you really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, guys, this has been a... Do you have something else to say, Dave? You want to go ahead? No? Okay. <laughs> this has been a great panel. I'm so happy that I've been able to have all of you all um, sitting around and, and chatting, not just about the Bardstown Bourbon Company and Bottled and Bond, but just kind of this heritage that we've all, you know, really enjoyed with bourbon. But I, I just want to say thank you all so much for, for sitting down with me. and. Uh, we really appreciate you coming here. Absolutely. And, uh, that's what this is all about. It's really all about just getting everybody together and talking about the yeah. enjoyment and creation of bourbon and whiskey. And yeah. Jim, thank you for joining us. Too. Yeah, Jim, my, my goodness. Thank you thank so you. much for wanting to hang out with us for a little bit. <laughs> um, just to wrap up real quick, if you want to follow up with us on social media, we are at My Bourbon Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you would like to check out our merch and apparel, it's bourbonshop.threadless.com. Send questions or comments to thisismybourbonshop at gmail.com. Leave us a five-star rate and review on iTunes. And then if you would like to financially support us, you can head to patreon.com slash mybourbonpodcast for as little as a dollar a month. You get some really cool content uh, that normal listeners don't have access to. I will see you next week. I appreciate you guys listening. But until then, I'm Perry, and this is my Bourbon Podcast. <laughs>